Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, everybody. Hello and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. So glad to be with you. Hope everybody is safe and well as we continue through this most unusual week in uh, Islanders history. The announcement coming yesterday that the Nassau Coliseum going to be shut down unless they can find another investor On yesterday's show, we talked a little bit about that and how it may affect the Islanders as to where they may play in 2020-2021 if the Nassau Coliseum is still shut down and unavailable. Today, we will further discuss this from a different perspective, namely how this may affect the Islanders in free agency once that gets underway this fall and and whether or not it will keep some players from signing with the team. We have our Islanders birthday of the day. We also have the latest news about the Islanders new home in Belmont and uh, some news about that is the team certainly trying to take attention away from the mess that is the Nassau Coliseum right now. And we'll also talk a little bit about some safety precautions that the NHL will and will not take when and if play resumes and the playoffs get underway. Don't forget, if you want to ask something, if there's something that's on your mind, a topic you'd like us to discuss, a question, a comment, feel free to send us an email. The email address is LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Twitter at LockedOnIsles. We'll let you know when the latest uh, show drops. And we'll also, of course keep you up to date on Islanders news and notes. You can also follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. Alright, let's start off with the continuation of our discussion about the Nassau Coliseum shutting down. First of all, I will have to say this, for the most part, I am not overly concerned about the future of the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, this wasn't handled right from day one. It should have been built differently, built sooner, built bigger, whatever you want to say. And now it's a it's an arena without an anchor tenant. And because of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic right now, it's an arena that has no events scheduled at it in the near future. So I, I think, you know, the powers that be may be trying to renegotiate something with the county. Uh, If I had to place a bet right now, 
where the Islanders will be playing their home games next season once it gets underway. Again, assuming that there are fans allowed in the stands, I still think they will find a way to play at the Nassau Coliseum. But this is a situation where there is going to be uncertainty. And how long that uncertainty continues may be important for the Islanders. Look, we all know, and we've discussed uh, many times on this show, that the Islanders are in need of more scoring. And look, they're 24th in the league right now in goals scored. That's not going to get it done over the long haul. You want to be a Stanley Cup winning team. You want to be an elite team. You, you don't have to be top five in the league in goal scoring. You don't even have to be top 10. But, you know, if there's 31 teams in the league, get me to the top 15. Get me to the top half of the league. And then if you have great defense and or great goaltending, you'll be just fine. The Islanders have salary cap issues. They have got to try to sign a free agent or swing a trade. But if the arena situation is unsettled for this coming season... It may make it more difficult for free agents to want to sign with the New York Islanders. The fact that they may be playing, you know, a season in Barclay Center again, or Madison Square Garden at weird times as a tenant, or in Newark, or, you know, again, if we're playing in front of no fans, they could be playing any anywhere, really. Uh, the practice facility, as we said yesterday may even be a possible place. But, you know, the, again, while people have raised this issue, I don't think it's going to be a major one. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, right now, with the pandemic going on, everything is up in the air. The, to say that the Islanders' home ice situation for one season is a little bit of a question mark, well, right now, like I said, we don't know if there'll be fans in the stands in 2020, 2021. We don't know how many fans, if there are fans. Maybe it's 25% capacity, 50% capacity. We don't know what it's going to be like. So there's uncertainty around the entire league. But the other thing, and the bigger thing to me, really is this. If you're signing a free agent contract, with the New York Islanders, or going to be traded to the New York Islanders. But let's talk free agents first. If you're signing a free agent contract with the New York Islanders, it is almost certainly not, you know, a big free agent, a guy who's going to be that goal-scoring threat, that 30-plus goal-scoring threat that the Islanders so desperately need to add to their lineup. Odds are that player is not signing a one New York Islanders. And you know that for the first year of that contract, there is a little bit of arena uncertainty. But in year two of, let's say, a five-year deal, you're moving into a state-of-the-art, brand-new arena near Belmont Park. I, I think that more than cancels out the uncertainty about where you're going to play in year one especially because, again, depending on coronavirus, there may be a number of teams that have questions about where they're going to play, how many fans may or may not be there, uh, what the safety precautions are going to be. So 
I don't think it's going to hurt the Islanders all that much. If it's a toss-up between two teams and one of them has, you know, less of an arena issue or has, you know, less coronavirus cases in that area than Long Island, let's say, maybe that becomes a consideration. But I don't think the uncertainty about the Islanders' home arena will have a major effect on their ability to sign free agents. The salary cap might. And certainly Lou Lamorello has a lot of work to do if he wants to get enough cap space to add that big-time goal scorer. But I don't think the one-year uncertainty in an arena would be that big a deal for a player looking to sign a long-term deal with the New York Islanders. And if you're looking to get the best parts for your car at the best prices, check out rockauto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. Rockauto.com always features the lowest prices possible, rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Rockauto.com is for everybody. It does not require membership or account logon. They have everything. From engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. For your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks and get it delivered right to your door. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto parts customers for more than 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts that are available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. So after the uh, upsetting news about the Nassau Coliseum hit yesterday, Today, the Islanders made an announcement. They announced the executive team that will oversee the new arena near Belmont Park, which, of course, as we know, is scheduled to open in the fall of 2021. And right now, Tom Pistore, who will be the president of commercial operations, and Hank Abade, president of arena operations, they will be the lead team for New York Arena Partners, and that's the umbrella group that is financing the development on this property. Rounding out the group, Chief Financial Officer Charles Groneman and General Counsel Zachary Klein and Leah Del Rosario, the Senior Vice President of Human Resources. Tim uh, Liwecki, The chief executive of Oakview Group, a member of the New York Arena Partners, released a statement saying this is going to be a world-class venue with a top executive team. Tom and Hank are highly respected throughout the industry and the perfect choice to lead us. Now, look, most of us do not know uh, a lot about these people. I'm sure they're very competent business people. And look, to me, this is a desire by the Islanders organization to say, hey, I know there's issues right now with the Nassau Coliseum. I think there's issues right now about everything. But at the same time, uh, look ahead. This is our future. 
this is what we're concentrating on. And the future, by the way, is quite bright. And you're talking about, you know, 19,000 roughly seats at a state-of-the-art arena that people from Long Island and New York City, Island Parkway, and it'll be a lot better for Long Island fans than the Barclays Center ever was, and overall should provide a better hockey experience than Barclays Center did. So, understandable at this juncture, with all of this controversy sweeping around the Coliseum, that the Islanders organization and the people who were running Belmont, the new arena, eager to focus the attention of fans on the future rather than on the temporary home where the Islanders may or may not, as of now, play their home games this coming season. As for the playoffs this year, assuming they do get underway on or about August 1st, which is what most people are expecting, uh, you know, they're going to play in a hub. And it hasn't been official yet. We're expecting the official announcement early next week. But it's been leaked that Las Vegas will be the hub for the Eastern Conference. And the Western Conference will probably, they're trying to figure out a way to play those games in Canada. Now, which Canadian city? That remains to be seen. They still have to work out things with Prime Minister Trudeau about the 14-day self-quarantine law and whether or not the NHL can get waivers. But another thing that certainly was uh, an issue today, uh, the NHL making an announcement with regard to certain safety precautions. And NHL players, when things get back underway, will not be required to wear full face shields according to a report yesterday in the Associated Press. The focus by both the league and the Players Association has been on testing regularly and other off-ice safety precautions like isolating the players and possibly family members in their hotel and things of that nature. So they're not going to require any equipment changes. Now, there has been uh, a new kind of protective gear released by Bauer Hockey that does have what they're calling a splash guard, and that protects around the mouth and still allows for vision and breathability. At least that's what the, uh, you know, the concept says. But at the end of the day, that's not going to happen. The other thing that is not necessarily going to happen, uh, face shields, like we said, not mandatory. And the NHL cannot eliminate scrums, spitting, and fighting. Now, we'll see how that goes. How many players realistically would be eager to get into a fight right now? Scrums are unavoidable. Close contact, again, unavoidable. You get a guy like Anders Lee, his job, in part, is to get, you know, at or near that crease area, distract the goalie, battle for position with the defenseman, try to get tip-ins, rebounds, and the like. 
That is a part of hockey that you cannot avoid or take away. Checking, especially in the playoffs, is a part of hockey that you cannot avoid or take away. There's not a lot of fighting anymore in the playoffs anyway. You go back 20, 30 years, there used to be a lot of fighting. And, you know, it used to be, for example, you get into a game where it's a blowout. Let's say, you know, game one of a playoff series and your team is losing four to four to one days, 20, 30 years ago and more, it would be time for a team to send a message. And that meant dropping the gloves and basically saying, hey, you know, you may have whooped us on the ice today, but we're still fighting. We're still battling. We're still in this and you're not going to make us go away easily. So you would see, and if you go back at some of the box scores of these old hockey games, you would see uh, a lot of fights in the last, you know, minute and a half, let's say, of a one-sided game. And that was the old send a message thing. That doesn't happen anymore. In fact, the league will give out extra penalties and fines and the like if they think that teams are trying to deliberately start a fight in the last minute of a blowout game. And again, teams just not looking at fighting is a big part of the playoffs. If anything, fighting goes down dramatically nowadays in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but they're not going to legislate against it, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of it anyway. But you can't change the fundamentals of hockey. Hockey is still hockey. You got to have checking. You got to have battling for position in front of the ice. There's got to be contact. There's got to be battles along the boards for loose pucks. These are unavoidable things. Um, I think wearing a face shield would be wise, but the league has decided not to mandate it. They're going to attack this more from a testing standpoint and from an isolation off the ice standpoint. Hopefully that will be good enough to maintain safety for everyone once the playoffs get underway. All right, it's time for our Islanders birthday of the day and Actually, we are going to cheat a little bit because there are no Islanders birthdays on June the 18th. There were two on June the 17th. Yesterday, we talked about Dave Fortier, who was a part of that magical 1975 playoff run that really put the Islanders on the map. So today, also born on June 17th, a day ago, Tommy Pettinen, the... uh, left-handed shooting defenseman originally from Finland. He turned 43 years old yesterday. Islanders selected him in the ninth round of the 2000 NHL entry draft. He came over to North America after playing in Finland for a number of years, about five or six years. In 2001-2002, he came over to join the Bridgeport Sound Tigers in the playoffs and then spent all of 2002-2003 with Bridgeport. Made his Islanders debut at the end of that season. Plus one was up for four games in 2003-2004 and then 
played in 18 contests in 2005-2006 with the Islanders, ended up going back to Finland and Sweden, and pretty much played all the way through to 2011-2012. His Islander career statistics, 24 games and 18 penalty minutes, never did register a point in a regular season game for the Islanders, but we're going to take you back to one of his better games. That was October 25th, 2005 at the Nassau Coliseum. Islanders hosting the Atlanta Thrashers. Adam Burkhol in goal for Atlanta against Rick DiPietro for the Islanders, and the Islanders would get on the board first. Miro Chetan getting his seventh of the year. Alexi Yashin and Aaron Asham with the helpers at 8.38, and after 20 minutes, the Islanders held a one to nothing lead. But the Islanders got into some penalty trouble in the second period, and the Thrashers made them pay. First, Sean Bates off for hooking. Two minutes for hooking at 2.26. Ilya Kovalchuk, by far the most dangerous goal scorer on the Thrashers. He made them pay with a power play goal. Slava Kozlov and Greg DeVries with the assists at 3.49. Then... Yanni Ninema went off for holding at 6.49, and Bobby Holik scored a power play goal for Atlanta, his second of the year. DeVries and Marion Hossa with the helpers at 7.39, and the Thrashers held a 2-1 lead. But the Islanders' power play was able to answer back. With Ronald Petrovicki in the box for interference, Alexi Yashin tallied minutes even, and a little bit later on in that second period, with the game tied at 2-2, two and two, Shane Knighty in the box for delay of game, and Yashin makes him pay. He gets his second of the game, sixth of the season, Shatan and Zitnik, Alexi Zitnik, with the assists at 16-14, and the Islanders now had a 3-2 lead. Jason Blake added to the Islanders' lead in the final minute of the second period. His fifth from Trent Hunter and Alexei Zitnik at 19:24. So the Islanders go up by a 4-2 margin. And again, that momentum-changing goal in the final minute of the period gives the Islanders a two-goal advantage after 40 minutes. In the third period, the Islanders again with some penalty trouble. Aaron Asham off for roughing at 14.32, and a minute eight seconds later, Kovalchuk scores his second of the game, third of the season. DeVries and Hossa with the assists at 15.40. It's a one-goal game at that point, and basically with a minute two left, the Thrashers pull Burkhole, go for the extra attacker, but Rick DiPietro comes up big. He made 33 saves in this game to earn the victory, and the Islanders skate away with a 4-3 win over the Atlanta Thrashers. Trent Hunter, two assists, as did Alexi Zitnik. Miro Chetan, a goal and an assist. Uh, those are the Islanders' multi-point players. Now, you know, we talked about our 
birthday boy in this one, Tommy Pettinen. He was a plus two in this game on 27 shifts, played almost 20 minutes, 19 minutes, 51 seconds, and also picked up two minor penalties. So uh, a plus two, a strong game for a birthday boy, Tommy Pettinen. And uh, as far as Pettinen goes, basically, again, we wish him a very happy 43rd birthday. Well, that's going to do it for us right here on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. Now, have your smart device play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL. They'll give you a league-wide perspective on the world of hockey. Remember, each day gets us one day closer to the start of the playoffs. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe, and remember, let's go Islanders.